At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. So here we are. A week from tonight, voting in the 2020 election will come to an end. Notice I didn't call it election day. Due to the pandemic-related surge in early voting and mail-in ballots, it's been more like election season. Election coverage has a familiar ring to it. Polls, the horse race, campaign gossip, attack ads, who's up, who's down, who has momentum, what's the narrative? This year at WUSF, we tried to do something different. We wanted to put ordinary people, the voters, at the center of our election stories. And to do that, we teamed up with our colleagues at WMFE in Orlando and a national project called America Amplified. And tonight you'll hear from one of the voters we met this year. Dwayne Ron Sharp is a student at St. Petersburg College, and he grew up in Jamaica. He recently became an American citizen, so this is his first election. And since we're in the middle of a pandemic, I spoke with him via Zoom. Dwayne, Ron, I'm going to start with you. I mentioned you're a student at, uh, at SPC. You're a first-time voter. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and what's important to you. I, um, again, first time voter, this is going to be the first election I'll, I'll participate in and um, by extension, pay the most attention to, the most in-depth attention to. I've been in the country for, for a few years, and while I've, I've seen the political platforms of both parties, I've never taken a, a deeper look. So uh, where, where did you uh, move to the U.S. from? Uh, Jamaica. And you said that there's still some things that uh, about the political process or about the political parties and their platforms that are that are unclear to you. Is there anything in particular that uh, that you still have questions about at this point? Why does it have to be such an us versus them? That that's my main thing. My main my, my main overall question, my umbrella question is why is it a an us versus them? When I'm taking a look at it from an outside standpoint, it's the Dems versus the Republicans, and it seems like. The most affected party is the American people. So I'm hoping to get a better understanding as to why, why is it, I guess, just a two-party system? And then how can we, as Americans, I can say that now, how can we as Americans kind of hold our leaders more accountable, regardless of what party you're affiliated with? What issues specifically are important to you in this election? Race issues, the uh, equality issues that we've been facing, especially recently, the education as well, because I've noticed um, I have friends that are teachers and they tell me every so often or I'll see on the news where a budget is getting cut or they have to do more with less resources. And I kind of want to understand why that is. Why are we cutting programs such as education? Or I think one of the programs up to be cut or was discussed is Planned Parenthood. And I'm trying to understand why, because that spans more than the one issue that seems to be the, the biggest talking point. Um, so you're, you're a new citizen of the U.S. Uh, this is your first time voting. Um, what has the process been like for you just in terms of getting registered and and getting the all, all the information that you need to make your choice? The process was fairly simple. After the ceremony, I was registered right there. I was given information on where to go. 
I was given the website links to go and see platforms and ballot information. I, w- I also get a large majority of information from the people I associate with, my friends or my colleagues. Um, the issues that affect them, I, I take a look at those as well to kind of see what their side is versus what the, the opposing side is. It's still all very new to me. It's a whole new, not to be corny, but it's a whole new world for me um, as far as uh, politics goes. So I'm still getting my feet wet. I've got a I'm just trying to take it all in right now to, to see how best I can understand it and figure out where to place my votes to make sure that not just me, but my community is served. So at the top of the ballot for everyone this year is, is the presidential election. Have you decided who you're going to vote for? Uh, I have. I, I don't know that my choice was made based on all of their politics, just because on either side, I've seen something where, for example, Joe Biden's past uh, decisions and policies have been brought up and Trump's behavior overall has been brought up. And taking a look at both of those, I, I kind of already made my decision in my head as to what where I'm leaning towards voting. So can I ask who you're, uh, you're going to vote for? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Biden. Have you had a chance yet, Dwayne, to look at to kind of look at the ballot and look at the other races and uh, and make choices about those? I have not taken any deep look at it. I've seen the presidential ballot. I've seen the VP ballot. I took a glance at the ballot for the area I'm voting in Largo, but I did not spend any great deal of time analyzing it. No, Dwayne, where are you um, getting information for uh, making your voting decision, uh, particularly for some of these uh, these down ballot races that maybe aren't getting as much attention as uh, as the presidential race. Uh, speaking to more, more of my politically inclined friends who are more plugged in than I am, because I do not, I make it a, a point to not follow politics very closely. But um, speaking to my friends, they'll give me gems of information. They'll tell me what has happened, what hasn't happened, who hasn't been unnecessarily performing, but what areas are under more scrutiny. It's been a minute as well since I've spoken to them, because as we're getting closer, they are getting more heavily involved. So they have been kind of radio silent. Do you follow the news regularly? Do you? I, I listen to the news in the morning. In the morning, I do. When I get some downtime at work, I'll try to, to read a few articles online to see if I'm missing anything. I usually don't get very far because the phone rings or someone sends me an email. I try to, to pay as much attention as I can. Unfortunately, it's just not very much. So it sounds like your friends are pretty kind of plugged in politically with what's going on. Would you say that's true of, of most of your uh, SBC classmates? Are they really paying attention to politics this year? Not all of them. Most of the students that I see, uh, you have your mix. You have the heavily, heavily politically leaning, some who are more aloof and some who just don't care for it either way. Not everyone is going to vote. I have professors who always tell me, make sure you vote, make sure you tell your friends to vote. And then I hear, I hear students say, I'm not going to vote. It doesn't make any sense. My voice doesn't matter. And then I think to myself in my head, how many times has that been said? How many hundreds of thousands, millions of times across the country has that been said? And then no change is made. And that for them solidifies their reasoning as to this is why I don't vote because it doesn't make sense. And I imagine that's got to hit you in a different way, right? Because you're, <laughs> you're a new citizen, right? And this is like, this is one of the fundamental rights of being an American is being able to, to have that voice in decision making, being cast a ballot. So what, what do you say to somebody who says, ah, oh, my, vo- my vote doesn't matter? I look at them, ask them what's the matter with them, and then try to, try to see where they're at. 
if it's a case where I can at least persuade them with the logic of um, an extra voice is an extra voice, I just say, okay, no problem. And then I go on about my day. There's no need for me to try to convince them to do something they just don't want to do. Dwayne, we got a question. Somebody um, was curious about maybe some of the information that you're getting, either that you're seeing or maybe through your friends. And they're, they want to know if you're familiar with some of the disinformation uh, that was prevalent in the, in the presidential election in 2016. And are you worried at all about trusting what, what you see for yourself or hear from your friends that it's true and that it's not disinformation or fake news? relatively concerned with it yes just because there's two sides to every story and most of this information now i take with a grain of salt and i'll ask different groups of friends to see if they are familiar with the information as it was just given to me or if they know something different about the same topic but i am i am aware that there has been um great disinformation um being passed out over the last few years so i'm not picking i said no i don't take a headline and then run with it um, I take it, I look at it, and I try to make sure that before I repeat this to someone, is it accurate? Uh, and in that, I'll either try to look it up online if I, if I can, or I'll ask someone I know that is more involved politically. I'm like, hey, is this accurate? Before I go and, and mention it to, to another, another colleague or another classmate. Have you decided how you're going to vote? Or have you, have you requested a, a mail-in ballot? Or are you going to go vote early? Or are you going to vote on, on the day? Uh, I'm going to go vote early. I wanted, I, I made the decision to go in and vote just because it's my first election. And even though we are in some um, troubling times here with um, COVID-19, I still wanted at least my first voting experience to be the full thing where I go in line, I get in the booth. And I understand that might not be all that wise because of what's going on in the world right now. But I wanted my first voting experience to be a proper voting experience. Have you heard? Uh, have you heard anything from the in the Biden campaign or the Trump campaign that specifically speaks to you as a as a Jamaican American or as a Caribbean American? Particularly in that regard, no. What speaks to me is more of a being a black man in America and I'm specifically referencing the presidential debate or the vice presidential debate as well. Both of them, um, comments made by both the president and the vice president, led me to believe that it was easier for them to deny it than to disapprove of it um, in regards to any kind of systemic injustice that has been more prevalent over the last few years. And this is just my take. This is just what I saw, what I interpreted. Instead of saying, cut it out, this is wrong, this isn't the America we're trying to build, we're told it doesn't exist. At least that's what I got out of it. So these are, these are systemic problems. Do you think that if uh, Joe Biden's elected in four years from now at the end of his term that we're going to see any real progress with with issues related to uh, to black communities, to incarceration, the school to prison pipeline, et cetera? I, I feel we'll see some. It just might not be very substantial. This system wasn't built overnight, so we won't be able to fix it so to speak, in four years. It would take time, it would take uh, well-laid plans, it would take um, officials to follow through on those plans, stick to those plans, and make check marks as the groundwork progresses. But I don't think four years would be enough. I think it would be a good start. What do you think it would take to get uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle to work together? To stop thinking about how this would help the party and think about how it would help the people, all the people. I know that they are both 
both parties are working individually to do what they think is best for the American people. I think that because they're working kind of one side, like one team is working by themselves, the other team working by themselves. I don't think that they're able to capture all of the, um, fill in all of the gaps that would come about with their plan, so to speak. Something that the Republican Party would consider something the Democratic Party might not consider. No, no great example comes to my head right now, but I don't know that they would be able to work together properly without first focusing completely on the American people instead of, I guess, weaponizing the American people. That was my conversation with Dwayne Ron Sharp, a St. Petersburg college student and first time voter. I spoke to him in a Facebook Live event as part of The State We're In, a collaboration between WUSF and WMFE in Orlando. And you can find the full conversation on The State We're In Facebook page. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're going to take a short break here and we'll resume in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Millions of Floridians have already voted by mail or at early voting sites. So what will Election Day look like? Here's Pinellas County Elections Director Julie Marcus. I think we have to have some level of expectation. I mean, you have... uh you have counties like Miami-Dade that have 1.4 million registered voters and like they have half of their people voting by mail. You know what I mean? So the expectation that like on election day that Miami-Dade's not going to be into Wednesday in the morning, you know what I mean? Meaning like the wee hours of the morning, including Pinellas, we need to have that level of expectation. So at 703-705, most counties are going to push out Every mail ballot that was counted up until probably about six-ish, and then every ballot that was cast in person early voting, which probably for this election will account for probably 80, 75, 80% of the votes in a county. That's mm-hmm. what I'm hoping for anyway. So we have, you know what I mean? Because we obviously, if you're going to mail ballots to folks, you're going to want folks to use them. So we're hoping we get at least an 80 to 90% return rate on our mail ballots. So that's a that's most of the vote is already out there. And then you have everybody at the polling places has seven o'clock. So if you're in line at seven o'clock and please every single presidential election and gubernatorial election, I've been doing this for 17 years. We have had lines. We've had lines at early voting sites. We have had lines on Election Day. And this is nothing new. That is a healthy representative democracy when you see lines. So we're going to have lines at 7 p.m. on election night, and that last voter gets to vote. We have a two-card ballot. One's front and back, and the other one is all questions. It could take that voter a long time to get through that process, and we can't close the polls on that scanner to modem election results until that last voter leaves. So you may have some polling places where voters haven't left till 745, 8 o'clock. And now we can close the polls at those locations. But throughout the night, as our, our, our polling places are modeming in, we'll start, we'll upload those to the website. And then when you see 100% reporting, that means that all of our polling places have reported in. 
hopefully you don't have any issues with modems. If you do, it just always seems to be like the most, I don't know, Brian, if you can have experienced this, it always feels like this, that it's of course the, the, the modem that's furthest away from your office. And so you have to wait for that one to come in. That's, that it happens, it happens, you know what I mean? There's just something comes up and it doesn't modem. So now you have to bring it in and that's how you uh, upload the results to the website. And then of course, you're gonna have that bucket of mail ballots that you're getting toward the end of the day up till 7 p.m. that will be added in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, meaning, so I know that we still have provisionals, you still have cures and you have the 10 day overseas. But I think for, if you look, unless we're literally down to a 2000 concept, uh, Florida has the results out. And, and that's because Florida statutes have really, really tight deadlines as to when you have to complete um, the processes. That was Pinellas County Elections Director Julie Marcus talking about how Election Day could unfold. And joining me now via Zoom is WUSS Steve Newborn. He's been reporting on uh, early voting and vote by mail and some of the issues that have cropped up. Uh, it sounds like, Steve, there's going to be a, a pretty massive dump of, uh, of voter data as soon as polls close because of all of these early votes and, and, uh, and uh, mail-in ballots. Yeah, right, Bradley. Like, we just heard from Julie Marcus. One thing she didn't say, though, is the majority of people who have requested and so far returned mail-in ballots have been Democrats. So what we're likely going to see at 8 o'clock when the results first come in, and of course we have to wait till 8 o'clock because the panhandle is in the central time zone and the uh, the polls don't close there till 8, is that it's going to skew Democratic. So uh, the numbers first are going to be in favor of Joe Biden and the Democratic candidates. And as the, the later tallies come in, and more Republicans are, are voting early, and they're also voting in person the day of the election. So it's what I think is going to happen is we're going to see the Democratic swell right at 8 o'clock, and then it's going to kind of even out after that. So uh, don't jump up and down right at 8 o'clock if your candidate is in the lead. Well, something uh, Julie talked about in in that excerpt that we played is that uh, the potential of 75 to 80 percent of voters, at least in Pinellas County, uh, casting their ballots before Election Day. Now, we did that interview with her a few weeks ago before early voting started uh, with just a few days left in in, uh, in early voting. How likely is it, do you think, that, that Pinellas is going to hit that goal? Yeah, that's the tough question. Um, so um, the number of people voting early in, in Pinellas County is, is way down, even though they uh, most counties broke records the first day of early voting. Uh, Pinellas County is trailing in early voting uh, pretty much most of the other counties in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, the latest statistics we have here are 57,000 people have voted early in Pinellas. Now that compares to uh, Hillsborough, uh, 154,000 people have voted early. Uh, now, Hillsborough obviously has a lot more people than Pinellas County, but if you compare it to uh, Pasco, just to the north, which has half as many people as Pinellas, uh, 70,000 people have voted early already in, in Pasco, compared to 57 in 57,000 in Pinellas. So there's a lag there, and many people believe it's because of the number of early voting sites. There's only five in all of Pinellas County. In Hillsborough, there's 26, and there's like 13 in Pasco. Uh, so that's that's a definite 
drawback if you want to if you want to vote early. One of the reasons I can imagine in Hillsborough is just because it's just such a large county geographically compared to Pinellas. But is there uh, any other reasons for that kind of disparity between early voting sites in one county versus another in terms of the number? Well, it's strictly up to the supervisor of elections. Uh, the way Florida's election system is set up, the uh, the supervisor of elections in each county have the power to open as many sites as they want, drop-off sites, early voting sites. Um, so it's it's in their power. Um, we haven't really heard much of a reasoning for there being so few sites in Pinellas. Um, but um, we have talked to Craig Latimer in uh, in Hillsborough County, and he said he's trying to get as many people as they can to the polls. That's why they've opened up 26 sites, like I said, including places as big as Raymond James Stadium and Amelie Arena. They're trying to get as many people as they can. So it's really up to the county by county. So uh, folks who have uh, requested a, a vote-by-mail ballot, if they have it at home right now and they haven't returned it, um, do they have enough time now to to send it back by mail, or do they need to drop it off at, a, at an early voting site? Yeah, it's already past the uh, the deadline most uh, supervisor of elections say. They say she should give it a week, and uh, well, it's a week today, so uh, get it in the mail right now if you can. If not, I would take it down to one of the early drop-off sites. Uh, they have plenty in most of the counties or um you can just drive it to the supervisor or election site where you normally vote, and they'll they'll take it for you. So the the best way to make sure your vote get counts, the best way to make sure your vote gets counted now, is to drop it off in person. And really important for folks, the other thing too is uh, there are tools to track your ballot to see if it's counted or to see if it's, if it's if there's a problem with it. Um, and it would be a good idea for folks if, if they've returned a ballot to, uh, to go to their county elections website and see if there's any issue with their ballot that might, uh, that might need attention. Yeah, absolutely, Bradley. Uh, they have uh, programs called uh, Ballot Tracker or Ballot Scout is what it's called in, uh, in Pasco County. You go online, check your ballot, see if they've received it. I mean, it takes five minutes. Or you can just sign up before you vote and they'll actually send you an email when they receive it. Pretty simple. It'll make sure your vote gets counted. It only takes a few minutes. I recommend everybody do that. And um, that's really the best way to make sure that you know your vote gets counted. So something else that there's been a lot of attention on this year is the restoration of uh, voting rights for people with felony convictions in Florida. Uh, voters overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment in 2018, which uh, which restored those rights. But then uh, the Florida legislature came in and, and uh, passed a law which says you need to pay any fines or fees uh, before the voting rights can be restored. That law has been upheld by the courts. So what are we seeing in terms of, uh, of uh, former felons who have been able to have their voting rights restored in this election? Right. So, uh, you know, Amendment 4, when it was passed two years ago, um, it affected one and a half million people, large number of people. Not as many felons have voted as they thought. Um, so the amendment that the legislature tacked on affected about 900,000 people. They had fines and fees that they had to pay off first. So, um, you know, people like Desmond Mead, who uh, was the driving force behind Amendment 4, he went to... He, he, he collected a lot of money. He collected about $25 billion from, from people to help 
pay off all these fines. He says more than 25,000 people have paid off their back fines and can now vote. You know, but there's another wrinkle here. Um, last week, the state told county elections officials they'll start the process to remove felons from the voter rolls. But it can't happen before Election Day because it came too late under the state's election code. It came under a month before that was going to happen. So, you know, while all this is playing out, at least 31,000 felons have registered to vote. That's according to the Tampa Bay Times, Miami Herald, and ProPublica. Um, so, 80, about 80% 80 of, of those felons who voted may still owe fines. So, what we may see here are some kind of legal action from people allegating voter fraud, their vote didn't count. I'm sure this will all play out in the next week, and uh, that's a definite possibility. So what kind of efforts have there been this year in Florida to, uh, to target new voters and to target uh, people who have uh, never registered to vote before? Yeah, that's that's a major focus from from both campaigns. Uh, you know, particularly Florida's uh, Hispanic population is being really targeted by both Democrats and Republicans. Um, these Hispanic voters are really being targeted, and they're being micro-targeted. It's not just the Cubans who have traditionally voted Republican. It's the huge wave of Puerto Ricans who have come into the state since Hurricane Maria devastated the island a couple of years ago. And uh, hundreds of thousands have moved in, um, mostly into Osceola County uh, for the tourism-related jobs at unfortunately have really dried up because of the coronavirus. The uh, The Biden campaign is really targeting them. Uh, Kamala Harris went there. Um, the it, it, There's not just a geographic split here between which way Hispanics will vote. It's also demographic. And so you have the Cuban Americans who traditionally have voted Republican because of what happened back with Fidel Castro back on their island. But their kids who don't have that history of growing up with communism are much more likely to be progressive. And they're being targeted as well. So what you have playing out here in Miami-Dade County, the biggest county in the state, we have record numbers of both Republicans and Democrats registering for the first time. And it's not just one political party or the other. It's pretty much split in half between both. So just wrapping up this conversation, uh, let's go back to where we started uh, talking about the results that we'll see on election night. How likely is it that we will know the winner of the presidential race, at least in Florida, uh, on the night of November 3rd? Yeah, so uh, we're going to have probably a torrential downpour of data that comes in on Tuesday night. And um, there's two factors at play here. Since we've had a record number of early votes, those votes are already being counted. There, that's where we're going to have this big data dump at 8 o'clock that we referred to earlier. But you're going to get this last-minute surge of people who actually went to the polls, and with the record number of people who were expected to vote here, we're probably going to break all records. Uh, I think the, the record turnout in Florida was 1992 when Bill Clinton was elected. Um, so I would not expect to have a results in Tuesday night. I think it's going to be a minimum Wednesday morning. Could take a couple of days as results trickle in from the rest of the country. Um, so 
what you're going to hear here is a lot of, unfortunately, you're going to hear a lot of disinformation. You're going to hear a lot of allegations of voter fraud. There's probably going to be a slate of lawsuits left and right, but we are pretty familiar with that ever since Bush v. Gore 20 years ago, right? We're all pretty familiar with that. So I would just, I would just sit tight Tuesday night, take a deep breath, and just realize you're probably not going to hear the final results at night. Just, uh, just take a deep breath and wait it out like the rest of us. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. That's WUSF's Steve Newborn. Steve, thanks so much. Well, you're welcome, Bradley. And uh, Florida Matters will be off next week, but I hope you will join us for our election night coverage from NPR and WUSF. Today's show was produced by Denora Prevost. If you missed part of the conversation or you want to listen again, you can find it at WUSFnews.org. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters.